So would you open your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy? We'll look at chapter four verses, or chapter six rather, verses four through nine. Now, the law was first written and recorded in Exodus 20 through 23. It records the Ten Commandments, the rituals and the ceremonies and the feast days of Israel and the second law or Deuteronomy, we might consider as Moses recording the application of the law. Now, we might, and I, thought, I know many people would say, well, you know, this is Deuteronomy. It was written to Israel. really has nothing to do with the church. And uh, it was kind of interesting that there was a, a post on social media uh, regarding the proximity conference where somebody said, you guys keep talking like Israel and the church are two different things. That's because Israel and the church are two different things. <laughs> That's why we keep talking like that. So some people take it to the next level and say nothing written to Israel has any application to the church. Well, that's not true. And the reason I say that is because anything having to do with the nature and character of God is just as true in the Old Testament age as it is in the New Testament age. God doesn't change. So if he gives a directive regarding his nature and character, we are free to appropriate that. And we also need to apply it when it's given in the form of a directive like we have in front of us today. Now, at the time of this writing, 40 years had passed since Moses had received the law on Mount Sinai. And now he is doing much like that which Joshua did in Joshua 24, in that Joshua gave his farewell address to the nation. And Moses here is giving his farewell address to the nation in the form of the book of Deuteronomy. Now, it's interesting that there's a New Testament parallel that relates to our word for the year, which is? In the opening verses of chapter 6, where Moses writes in the Spirit inspires in Deuteronomy 6, 1 and 2. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and commandments, or at least the ones you agree with. <laughs> All the statutes and commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. Now, notice that Moses says the commandment. And then he connects the commandment with multiple things, including keeping the statutes and judgments of God and observing them in the land that the Lord is giving them. Now, Jesus said this in John 14, 15. Jesus is God. So this is God speaking. Amen. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my what? Keep my commandments. And he's connecting loving him with keeping his commandments the same way that Deuteronomy does for the nation of Israel. And Jesus would add this in John 13, uh, 34 to 35. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. And then he tells us how the new element of the commandment. Love each other as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Now, here again, the commandment is singular, just like it was with Moses to Israel. The commandment God gave to Israel that is singular is to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their strength. The new commandment, singular, Jesus gave, is to love one another as he, Jesus is God, has loved them. 
And then Jesus adds this when he's asked by a scribe, which is the greatest commandment? In Mark 12, 29 to 31, Jesus answered the scribe saying, the first of all commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. A direct quote from our text. This is the first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other. What's the next word? Commandment. commandment. Singular. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, that final sentence in Jesus' answer to the scribes will send us on our way today regarding topic and title. As Jesus says, there is no commandment, singular, greater than these, plural. Now that means the two commandments are a package deal, so to speak, or they are one. And they are how the supernatural love, the agapao, that we studied last month is manifested. Now, here's our title this morning that was true for Israel and it's true for the church today, and that is that we are commanded to love. We are commanded to love. Now, I was talking with Amir the other day, and I wanted to ask him, because of our text and how often this is recited in uh, Israel by the Jews, um, about this passage that we often refer to as the Shema. And uh, the first thing he said, well, it's not the Shema, it's the Shema. Uh, that's how we pronounce it, and uh, we do a lot of uh, Hebrew uh, assassinations, I think, in our ex uh, in, uh, hopes of interpreting Scripture or pronouncing the names. And this Shema does not say, love the Lord with all your mind, but Jesus adds it later, and we'll talk about why he did so. Now, we need to understand that Jesus can add to the Word of God because Jesus is God. We're told not to add to the Word of God because we're not God. So no uh, infringement or injustice here uh, in what Jesus added to it. Now, here's what we need to consider in light of all that we just mentioned. How can someone be commanded to love? How can somebody tell you to love somebody? I think every junior high boy and girl has had that puppy love experience where they fell into like and somebody didn't like them back and there was nothing they could do to make them like them or love them as they thought uh, they felt. Every young person has had that heartbreak experience and you can't make yourself feel a certain way or be emotionally attached to a person on demand. And that's why we talk about falling in love. Or that's why some would say love is blind. I think we've all probably known a person or two whom we thought when they fell in love with someone, what are you thinking? <laughs> I'm sure we've all had that experience as well. And listen, that kind of love, that emotional love, cannot be commanded. So it has to be another kind of love or type of love that we have in view. And indeed, it is. It is, it is the supernatural agapao love that God has for us. So let's look at the love God commanded Israel to have and how and where it was to be practiced as it applies to our lives today. So would you stand and read with me, please? Deuteronomy chapter 6. We'll look at verses 4 through 9. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gate. So Lord, we thank you for these beautiful words and the expressions that are given to us uh, that will help us to understand them. But Lord, I pray most of all, that we, we would understand and embrace the commandment to love. And Lord, teach us how to do that and the where's and how's of it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, again, in chatting with Amir, I figure, you know, a Hebrew-speaking, born-again Christian uh, who was born in Jerusalem probably be a good source to get some insight on, you know, what, what exactly this means uh, that we often miss as uh, Christians outside of Israel and non-Hebrew speaking uh, culture. And he said, well, the first thing we often miss is that there's a literary device there that is called the complex unity of the Godhead. In other words, the triune nature of God is presented in that the text says the Lord, Yahweh, our God, Elohim, the Lord, Yahweh, is one. So how many times do we have God presented to us in that opening statement. The Lord, God, the Lord. You need some help with that? Get your pocket calculators out. I'm going to go with three. How many members of the triune Godhead? There are three. So it's presenting to us the Trinity, and we want to catch that complex unity of the Godhead uh, that he mentioned. These three are one. He also mentioned this is the most misapplied text in the Bible by the Jews today. And they fail to understand that this is not a prayer to recite. This is not something to repeat every day as many Orthodox Jews do. It's a command. It's not something for them to say to God. It's something God has said to them. Shema Israel. Listen up, Israel. Now remember, verse 1 said this, or the commandment, is singular. And now Israel is told to love the triune God with all their heart, soul, and strength. Now, interesting that the Hebrew word translated heart means the mind. And this is why Jesus would add to it uh, when he mentioned and quoted directly from this in his response to that scribe that we mentioned a moment ago. And the best way for us to understand what this means is through uh, the word for heart that is found in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 2, in verse 7, we're told that the creation of man, that the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now, the word translated a soul in our text, rather interestingly, is translated as breathe in Genesis 1 or 2, 7. In other words, Israel is commanded to love the Lord with all of their breath and with their mind. The word uh, heart, remember, meaning mind. Now, Paul would also say to those he was debating at the Areopagus in Athens in Acts 17, 28, for in him, speaking of God, we live, move, and have our what? Have our being. And that tells us that when God's chosen people are commanded to love the triune God with all of their strength, that means all of their being, everything that they are, everything that they do. And we'll talk more about that in a moment, because that's how we are to love God as well. Amen. Yeah. 
Now, God's chosen people being commanded to love God with their strength. This means vehemently. It can mean diligently. But my uh, favored meaning of this particular Hebrew word is forcefully with great passion or with zeal. We are to love the Lord God with our minds and uh, with our very life breath and with great passion. Now, that means that verses 4 and 5 are telling us that being commanded to love would translate into this, at least in our thinking. Listen this morning. When God commands it, we can do it. When God commands it, we can do it. Now, we could say we should do it, but that's kind of a no-brainer. If the king of heaven who speaks universes into existence says do something, I'm thinking we go with that. I'm thinking we ought to do it, right? But where I think we need to arrive at in our thinking is that we can do it. If he commands it, it can be done. And the fact that the mind and strength are mentioned, the mind directly by Jesus and the heart meaning the mind in Deuteronomy, tells us that we, if we decide to, we can love the Lord forcefully and with great passion, meaning, as I said, zeal. Now Joshua said in 24, 14 to 15 in his farewell address to the nation, Now therefore fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And then Joshua talks about the decision and his authority over his own house. But as for me and my house, we will what? He said, this is our decision. You make your decision. You serve whoever you want. You make your decision. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, Joshua opens with the mechanism behind choosing to serve the Lord and deciding to love the Lord as the fear of the Lord. If we are in reverent awe of God, the meaning of fear, if we hold him in high esteem, then our natural response is going to be to love him with all of our heart, soul and strength. And the fact that this is given of as a command and is mentioned at all reminds us that not everyone who are among God's people always obey God. I'll wait here for the amen because you need to fess up in church. We don't always do what God says, right? Sometimes we do what we want. Sometimes we let our emotions and mind get the best of us and we do things even that are contrary to Scripture. And again, we'll talk more about that here in uh, just a bit. Now, this tells us that this command needs to be acted upon. And if you uh, pair that up with what Joshua said, a decision has to be made. And the fact that this is the greatest commandment tells us that the benefits of loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength are great as well. After all, think about our theme verse for 2022. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is what? Love. Is love. The greatest of these is love. And the greatest love we can have is to love the Lord our God with all that we are, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. And listen, God would never ask of us something that is impossible for us to do. He asks us to do it. He commands us to do it. But he leaves the decision in our hands. And as he said in verse 2, the commandments, statutes, and judgments which he commands are to be observed, meaning obeyed, all the days of our lives. Now, there's no promise of an exclusive ability to do so. Again, just the motivating feature of the fear of the Lord. Now, that means we've been front-loaded with the ability 
to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and strength. Now, I think we find a foundation for this in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, where Paul says this, For I say, through the grace that was given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a what? A measure of faith. And Paul would say in contrast in 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 to 10, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not what? Receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Now, I know there are people who disagree with this and they have the right to be wrong. <laughs> But I believe what Paul said in Romans 12, 3, that God has given to each one a measure of faith means every person born has the capacity to believe God. I don't believe that there are people born predestined for hell with no chance to come to faith in Jesus Christ. I don't believe that. That's contrary to the nature and character of God. How can he write in one place that some people are born headed to hell and then in another place say that he's unwilling that any should perish? but that all would come to repentance. And I think every person born has within them the mechanics, the mechanism, the measure of grace that would allow them to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Yet, there are those who choose not to receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And listen, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and every person within themselves has that grace necessary for belief on the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet, we all know not every witnessing opportunity ends with someone coming to faith in Christ. Some choose not to receive the love of the truth. And again, choice and free will are clearly realities that span beyond just the moment of decision as to whether or not you are going to follow Christ, but they stretch out into the whole of our Christian life. And we must choose to serve Him, and we must choose to love Him, and if He commands it, we can do it. Amen? Now look at 6 and 7 once again. Uh, Moses goes on and writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. I'm sorry, I skipped verse 6, didn't I? And these words which I command you today shall be in your what? In your heart. Now, these commands are to be in our hearts. And again, the heart is the decision-making center. The Hebrew word is labab, and it's translated heart, but it can also mean understanding, which I believe is fitting with the context here. Now, these commands are not only to be understood personally, they are to be shared with our circle of influence, beginning with the home and especially our children. Now, the Lord is very specific about how His commands are to be handled, and with what level of regard we are to hold them. They ought to be taught diligently. And again, the Holy Spirit, I think, is very calculated in how the words are arranged. He didn't say that they are to be diligently taught or, or regularly taught or taught with regularity. He's talking about the passion in which they are taught. They are to be taught diligently. They are to be taught Fervently, they are to be taught with great passion and esteem worthy of the name of the Lord. He deals with the regularity of them in the balance of this uh, portion of the scripture. He's dealing with how we teach them. We are to speak of them. And the word actually means with intent to inculcate or to impress upon. 
We ought to teach them to our children with such a passion it impresses upon them that it is the truth and it is how they are to live. And this is why Solomon would later write in 22.6, train up a child in the way they want to go. In the way that what? He should. So that means there's a way they should go, right? Train them up in the way that they should go. And training is a military term. Train the children up in the way that they should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. And listen, the way that a child is to be trained up is in the ways of the Lord. What are the ways of the Lord? They are found in his commands, statutes, and judgments, and they are to be the foundation of the conversations we have with our children in the home. Now, James says something interesting in 3, 10, and 12. He says, out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Then he illustrates it like this. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same spring? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Remember, he's illustrating the operation of the mouth. Now, the home is to be a place, uh, is not to be a place where there is ungodly or unedifying conversations. Our talk is to be governed by the things of God. And when God saves your soul, listen this morning, when God saves your soul, he cleans out the word pool. But he leaves pool maintenance to us. We have to keep our words fitting in that which is rightful and edifying uh, before him and for the sake of others. We are to talk and be governed by the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God as we go our way throughout the day when we walk in the way. They should be on our minds when we lie down, and they should be on our minds when we rise up. Now, we also need to remember that this was not something that was exclusive to Israel. Jesus said the same thing, though in a much more abbreviated form, in the Sermon on the Mount when he said in Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. We'll talk about the, those additions here in a little bit. Now, this is how we're to live our lives, seeking first the things of God. And back to what we mentioned earlier in John 14, 15, where Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And the things we're talking about here are how we love God. We love God by keeping his commandments. We love God by telling our children about him and not just him, but his commandments, statutes and judgments. And listen, uh, parents, especially you here today and those who have an influence over uh, younger people in their lives, we don't let culture tell us how we talk to our kids. We don't let them decide what is right and wrong. If God forbade it, then so should we. If he's against it, we should be too. And that goes for all levels of activity within inside of the Christian home. And listen, we don't let our kids pressure us or bully us or guilt trip us by that old expression. Everybody else is doing it. Because our response is, I don't care what everybody else is doing. The Bible says. And I don't care if everybody's going to the party. The Bible says, I don't care if everybody else is uh, sleeping with their boyfriend or girlfriend. The Bible says that is to be our response in our homes, in all situations to our kids. 
Culture's not running things here. God is. Amen? And we need to hold on and hold fast to His Word. Now, how do we know that? How do we know that that's the subject matter that we're discussing here today? Well, because in chapter 5, verses 1 through 21, the Ten Commandments are recorded for the second time. That's why Deuteronomy is called the second law. So what are we to teach our children? We're to teach them the Ten Commandments and that the Ten Commandments are how we express our love to God. And in summary, we could say the commandment to love is best communicated in our homes and elsewhere like this. Listen this morning. I didn't get this point from the Department of Redundancy Department, by the way. <laughs> it's just this. Listen, loving God is the best way to teach loving God. Loving God, well, I'll let that sink in for a minute. Loving God is the best way to teach loving God. Now, we have to remember that a directive is not based on warm fuzzies and emotions. You don't only do the things your boss tells you to do that you like. It, it was a little too scary, quiet in first service, too. What's going on out there? We don't just do the things that the boss says that we like or agree with or, or will make us feel good. It's like that old saying that used to float around. The boss may not always be right, but the boss is always the boss. But listen, we can't apply that to God because our, our boss is always right. And we should always do what he says. Amen? Amen. Now, our love for God is certainly filled with feelings. I, I get overwhelmed sometimes. I, sometimes I actually, still to this day, even though I've been doing this for quite a while now, I still get overwhelmed at all He has forgiven me of. And it still blows my mind sometimes. And I just I cannot fathom that He has been so gracious. And, and especially on top of that, letting me do this. Stand up in front of you guys and rightly or attempt to rightly divide the word of truth uh, by the power of his spirit and the abilities I believe that he has given me for this within my calling. But it still just blows my mind how gracious he is, how kind he is and how loving he is. And listen, there are uh, feelings, there are emotional thanksgiving elements for God's mercy and grace. But listen, expressing our love for God is done by keeping his commandments, even when his commandments are looked upon by the world as negatives. Now, John told us in 1 John 5, 2 and 3, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. There's our point right there. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And listen, his commandments are not burdensome. Amen. <laughs> that was super weak. His commandments are not burdensome. Amen. And listen, loving God through obedience is not a burdensome life. It's a better life. Amen. It's the best life, as a matter of fact. It's a blessed life. It's not a life that is bullied by social pressures or cultural trends. It's a life that through God's divine power stands alone and goes against the flow. And this is the very purpose of the statutes and judgments of the Lord that he gave to Israel. He was making them a distinct people from the rest of the world. That's why in the New Testament we're told, Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. And listen, keeping God's commands and statutes and judgments didn't save Israel, but it showed the world that they are a people chosen by God. And the same is true for us. We're not saved by keeping His commandments. Amen. We're not saved by works. Amen. We're not saved by duty. 
We're not saved by observing. We're not saved by any of those things, but it identifies us as the people of God. That's why we do these things. And more importantly, it expresses to God that we love Him. Amen. We love God by keeping His commandments. And others will also follow that example. His commandments are not burdensome. Listen, I've lived for myself, and it was a burden. You know, I actually thought I was having fun for a very brief time. But then what was hidden behind my party lifestyle began to show its ugly face. And I destroyed my marriage. Thankfully, God is a God who heals. My wife and our young daughter left me. And just, you know, I've slept in my car, friends' houses, lost my home. Everything that I had because I thought I was having fun. I'm having fun now. I don't want anything to do with that old life. And listen, in Philippians 3.17 through 20 that we'll look at next week, Paul said this, brethren, join in following my example. In other words, loving God is best taught to others by loving God. And note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame. Who set their mind on what kind of things? Earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait for the Savior. Who's the Savior? The Lord Jesus Christ. And here again, Paul reminds us our citizenship is in heaven and our lives should reflect the standard of our homeland and certainly our king. And listen, loving God is the best way to teach how to love God. Okay, you ready for this one? Not telling others to do that when we ourselves aren't doing it. It isn't the do as I say, not do as I do gospel. We teach others how to love God by loving God ourselves. Amen? Because if we do it the other way around, if we do what I just mentioned a moment ago, that robs our words of any value, especially in our own homes. We don't train up our children that way. Doesn't matter what I'm doing. You do what I say. You do what God says when we're not doing that. We teach others to love God by loving God ourselves. Amen? Amen. Now, look at 8 and 9, and we'll wrap up our time together. Then he adds this. He says, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, these verses give us one of the most visible reminders of the need to properly interpret Scripture and recognize when the language is figurative and when word pictures are being drawn for us and not to take the figurative literally or to take the literal figuratively. Now, we know this is a word picture because of verse 6, which tells us these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Can you physically take words and put them in your heart? No. no, so of course the meaning is figurative. Nor is the Lord saying, take little boxes, place tiny scrolls in them, written upon them the words of the Shema, and tie them with leather straps on the back of your hand with the straps going up your arm. Nor is he saying, put them in a little box and wear them on your forehead like the phylacteries we see worn by Orthodox Jews today. That is not what God is saying. What he's saying is what Proverbs 6, 20 to 23 records. My son, keep your father's command. 
and do not forsake the law of your mother. Bind them continually upon your heart. Can you, can you literally do that? No, it's figurative language to have them be what guides your decision-making and your understanding. Tie them around your neck. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. When you awake, they will speak with you. A lot of similar language as we see here in the Shema. For the commandment is a lamp and the law is a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. And 2 Timothy 3.16 reminds us that the word of God is profitable, including when it reproves us. Now again, figurative language meant to show the value of literally living according to God's words. And listen, in these last four verses, verses 6 through 9, we're given three imperatives. The commandment to love, teach, and bind them. Now, the commandment to love is through teaching them, binding them, and writing them. Now we talked about teaching them to our children, meaning to be uh, spoken of with the intent to inculcate or to impress upon them. And to bind means to join together or to confine mentally, keep them all in mind, within your mind. To write means to register or record. And again, this figurative language and what Moses is teaching is what some have dubbed saturation education. In other words, let everything you do and everywhere you go and everything you put your hand on and everything you set your eyes on be about the Lord. Now, the phylacteries worn by the Orthodox Jews are a complete misunderstanding of the text, which is actually, let the Lord rule in your thoughts, govern the actions of your hands. Now, how many know what a mezuzah is? Some of you. A mezuzah, if you've ever seen or entered into a Jewish home here in the States, you'll see a little box slanted with the bottom pointed towards the inside of the house. Some of them are very plain, made out of olive wood. Others are made out of silver and, and decorated with uh, beautiful stones and all these other things. And inside of them is a tiny little scroll with the words of the Shema inside. And they will go in the house and touch it on the way in. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily see those as, as, as problematic as the phylacteries because the phylacteries are just like way out of bounds as to what the Lord was meaning. But binding them on the doorposts of the house and on the gates, I think it's similar to putting a cross on the wall in your home. Does the Bible say put a cross on the wall? Is it wrong to put a cross on the wall? Now listen, I think if the cross is on the wall, it needs to be empty. Jesus isn't on it anymore. We shouldn't be hanging crucifixes in our homes. Amen. The cross is empty and so is the tomb. Yeah, I've never seen anybody with an empty tomb hanging on the wall, but we have crosses and we need to make sure they're empty. And, and I look at these mezuzahs as kind of the same thing. It's just a, a picture that this home is going to be governed by the commandments of God. I think they're a beautiful little uh, symbol, but that's, again, not the meaning here. It is to govern our going out and our coming in, the Word of God. And to bind uh, God's commands as a sign on your hand means let the commands of God determine what you set your hands do and, and how you do it and make, making sure you're doing it unto Him. To be frontlets between your eyes means to let the commands of God govern what you put in front of you or what you watch and even read. And boy, do we need a, a, to have a God filter on what we watch today. Amen? Okay, I, I, I just have to say this. How is The View still on TV? Who in the, who in the world 
is watching that garbage. Get that stuff off of TV. What a bunch of junk. Amen? We need to watch what it is that we're watching and filter it through the Word of God. The doorposts of your house and gates obviously means let the commands of God be the filter for what goes on in your home and what happens when you leave. Now, our final takeaway on the commandment to love is this. Listen, I'll need to explain this a little bit. Choosing to love and obey God creates gains, not losses. Chooses to love and obey God creates gains, not losses. Now, I think we all recognize that there are, it's happened in our own family, and it's a very painful thing um, that when you come to faith in Christ, some people aren't really excited about it, or your relationship changes, and you may feel a sense of loss. We, as I said, we have that uh, with a, a very dear family member who used to be with us at our house all the time, and then after Terry and I got our lives right with the Lord, the relationship changed dramatically because they're still in their direction and we're going in ours, but we're praying they change direction and join us and they go in the same direction. Those things do happen. And sometimes we experience those losses. Sometimes people ostracize us or belittle us for loving God. And those aren't the things we're talking about here. But what we are talking about is that if you choose to love God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and you choose to live according to His commandments, statutes, and judgment, your life, judgments, your life isn't going to be empty. It's going to be full. Amen. You're not going to miss out on anything, but you're going to gain many things. Well, you're not going to miss out on one thing. Hell. Yeah, I, th I think that's probably okay. Now, Peter put it like this, just to underscore what we're talking about. First Peter 4, 3 to 5. He said, We have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. What's the will of the Gentiles? And Gentiles, in this case, means unbelievers. When we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. And he said, in regard to these, those who we used to spend time with, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Sometimes people are going to think it's strange that we don't do the things we used to do. I had a friend when I had my uh, experience of, of coming back to the Lord and Pastor Romaine so graciously uh, straightened me out. And I mean that seriously. He was very gracious and kind uh, to me in, in telling me I hadn't lost my salvation. And uh, to the contrary of what I was taught growing up that uh, when you're a prodigal, you can come home. You haven't lost your salvation. But I tell you, I told, uh, after this happened, I told a friend who I spent literally every single day drinking and getting high with, every single day. And when I told him I had given my life to Christ and I wasn't going to do this anymore, I never, ever saw him again. Wow. Never. Yeah. Never saw him again. This has been a hard three weeks. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally kidding about that. Totally. It's been decades so almost four but you know sometimes that happens and but we peter says you know what we spent enough of the past doing those things which implies don't do them anymore now here's what i think we need to land on in our thinking today think about how much of our lives we have spent revisiting regrets how many hours we have gone through scenarios and situations and thought man I wish I hadn't have done that. Or we made an emotional, emotionally driven decision 
kind of a spur of the moment thing, driven by lust of the flesh or whatever it may have been. And we knew better, yet we did it anyways. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We did it anyway. And this is what obedience to the commands of God's God's, uh, statutes and judgment will help us avoid. Because you don't have those regrets. If you live according to God's will. Listen, if you live according to God's plan for marriage, uh, you're never going to experience the pain of adultery. It's not going to happen. It's going to be a better life and life experience. If you never walk in lewdness, you're never going to experience the shame of it. Poor decisions from lust and drunkenness, which are often paired together because you're attending the drinking party. All those things, if you don't do those things, you're not going to have the regrets from having done them. And listen, this is why Jesus would say in the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, super quiet in here all of a sudden. But this is why Jesus would say in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 13 to 14, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to what? Destruction. And there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few to find it. And listen, one thing that we have to do away with is this idea that the Christian life is you can't have any fun life. I'm having more fun now, guilt-free fun, than I ever thought I was having before when I was practicing the passing pleasures of sin. And listen, the Christian life, the life of loving God and keeping His his commandments, is an exciting life because it's the free life. It's the best life that can be experienced here on earth. But it is narrow, and at times the way is difficult. But at the end of that road is heaven. Now listen this morning. I want you to think about this in conclusion. God lives in us. We are temples of His Holy Spirit. Greater is He who is in us than He who is in the world. No weapon formed against us will prosper. We can quench all the fiery darts of the enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. The second death has no power over us. We are free indeed. And even when we sorrow, we do not sorrow without hope. We have received every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. We have the mind of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. We are citizens in heaven. Listen, I'm just having a hard time finding the downside of being a Christian. So I'm thinking, if he commanded us to love him by keeping his commandments, life is going to be best if we do. And we don't need to listen to, I said something a couple of weeks ago, that I don't believe in works righteousness. I said it during the message. I don't believe in works righteousness. I don't believe that doing good works can save you. I believe we're saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God. But I believe that God has works prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And what was the email I got? You preach and you get saved by works. <laughs> Listen to the message, would you? I didn't say that. And we're not saying that today, right? We're talking about quality of life. If you live the way God commanded, your life is going to be better than everybody else's. Who doesn't, that is. And we need to remember, God said it. We can do it. And we can teach others how to do it by doing it ourselves. And our lives will be, be, will be better, not only for us, but for those who are around us. Listen, I, 
you know, I share these things a lot because they matter. And, and, and I think especially to people who are having some of the same struggles that I went through. And some of you who've been with us for a while have heard this, but I'll repeat it again this morning for those who haven't. When Terry left me, I didn't see her for eight months. She hid from me. And rightfully so. And when I would call her mom's house to try and find out where she was, her mom would say, she will not want to talk to you. And she didn't. You know why? Because she hated me. And she wanted nothing to do with me because I was a vile, despicable human being. But... We just celebrated our 44th anniversary. And I think she's starting to like me. And probably even loves me. I know she does. But that's the business God is in. But you know, those two things are the difference between living for self and living for God. Losing everything, sleeping in your car, living like a pig, have a wife who loves you, four amazing grandchildren, a son and a daughter, and a beautiful daughter-in-law. Listen, I'm thinking this is better. Amen. And I got this instead of this because of him. Amen. So, what am I going to do? Keep living like this? Why in the world would I do that when he has this for me? That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about being good enough to be saved or doing enough to get saved. We're talking about loving God by following His commands because He's done so much for us. Somebody say, Amen. Amen.